Welcome to Hills I Die On. Thanksgiving stinks. Being old is awesome. I believe twins should be separated at birth. The Bachelor is the perfect way to find love. Adults who like Disneyland are deeply unwell. Welcome to another episode of Hills I Die On. I'm here with a very thrilling guest today. She is a writer slash producer slash actor slash director for shows such as Solar Opposites, Young Rock, Workaholics, really what a lineup. Uh, we got to talk about Solar Opposites because we have the same bosses now. Um, she also wrote the iconic film Hocus Pocus 2, uh, the best news, can't wait to get into that. Uh, she's also been just an incredibly brilliant and thoughtful voice within the WGA strike, uh, one that I've not only looked to for explanations but quoted in episodes past. Uh, and I'm just really excited to have her here today. Please welcome to the podcast, Jen D'Angelo. Oh my gosh thank you so much for having me what an intro so excited to have you for so many reasons first things first solar opposites yeah uh mike mcmahon oh whoa are you on say his name yeah okay i just (laughs) we've met twice (laughs) sorry mike i just had a moment of being like is that my boss's name that's amazing our show started like right before the strike oh whoa so like legitimately it's his new show solar opposites is such a fun show i obviously have like watched it in the past and then binged it's so fun fun. yeah Yeah. i uh i only worked on it for the first season which was such a bummer because it was so fun but then i left to go uh i was the onset writer for this movie called the tomorrow war uh which was like on amazon (laughs) So fun. Uh, yeah, it was so crazy. And it was unlike anything I'd ever done before. And so when they offered me that job, I was like, oh, like, I really don't want to leave solar. It's no, so fun. But yeah. 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 And like, they, I I, I'm sure these guys totally get it. Oh, totally. Yeah. What, um, what was the, oh, is it time to be real? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Hold. It's time to be real. It's time to be so real. Um, okay. Wait. Uh, that's amazing. Was that your first onset writing job? No, that was my second. Um, I had done, uh, the workaholics guys made a movie for Netflix called game over man. Amazing. Um, in, it was like 2017. Cause I remember I like got married went on my honeymoon came back and then was like, I'm moving to Vancouver for three months. Uh, Incredible. Goodbye. And that's where um, they, that was on location. Yeah. So fun. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah and those guys are so rad. I can They're imagine that was an awesome experience. The best. Yeah. It was so nice. And like, I, I've always wanted to direct. So I've like always had an eye on like trying to get as much onset experience as possible. And yeah, like yeah. for that to be my first one, like Kyle Newcheck is the best and like, iconic. Yeah, absolutely. Iconic. Uh, and he was so great. He was like, sit with me at the monitors. Like ask me any question you want. Oh, uh, that's he was incredible. So yeah. What a good like shadow experience. Too. Totally. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And then for this, for the second one, where was that one located? Uh, that was in Atlanta. Oh, cool. Which I loved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how many months was that? That was four months. It was like end of August to basically to Christmas. The true beauty of feature writing, man. I mean, my friend Melissa Hunter, who's incredibly talented, she was the onset writer and also was in um, Shotgun Wedding. Oh, whoa. Filming in Hawaii. Yeah. So I'm like, what the fuck? The coolest thing I've gotten to do is go to fucking Burbank. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like for Girls 5 Eva was shot in New York and they kept being like, everyone's coming in like for the writer's room. And I was like, I'm going to finally get to move to at least New York. Very yeah. At least New York. And then of course COVID ruined everything. And then I was supposed to go for my set and then I got COVID of course. So literally was like, haven't, haven't been in New York no. in a decade. It was like, what is happening? 
happening. And now I'm sure every show I work on will forever be at like the fucking Fox lot. Like the yeah. least convenient the lot worst for lot. all writers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's so much fun though. I know. That's, really that's my dream is to like be able to work in New York for two months where I'm just like, oops, I have to move there because I never lived dream. there. No, same. So, yeah. And I feel like I'm supposed to. Like exactly. I feel like if you're especially like a comedian, like you have to have your New York experience yeah. that hardens you. <laughs> It's so, I have it so glamorized in my head and I'm sure Me I'll too. get there and be like, I'm so cold. Like, I'm such a little wimp. I know. I'm also like, I'll get like motion sickness on the subway sometimes. Like, even when percent. I'm visiting and I'm like, how people live like this? Like, I'm too weird soft. Claustroph- I'm way too soft. Yeah. Weird claustrophobia. I also, we're so spoiled. Like, let's be clear here. The, like, rent and mortgages in California are fucking monstrous. But, it, but in New York, it makes us look like we are living well yes standard of living out here is significantly higher yeah 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 yeah. um anyway someday but i love this or i just have to switch to rewrites yeah that or onset not rewrites i was like rewrites are all all here as well or fucking over zoom so anyway yeah Yeah. and then okay okay new career pivot i'm ready after the strike ends (laughs) i'm ready to pivot bring me to your coolest location yeah (laughs) would love something filming in like thailand is that too much to ask oh my gosh that would be amazing i just i just don't think it's too much yeah um wait so then did all of this work get you set up for hocus pocus too so it was like a yeah kind of a crazy uh like everything kind of happened all at once. Like I literally, I remember, uh, I had to leave the solar room because I was like, I'm pitching on Hocus Pocus too. I was and just like, going to ask you cause it's such, I only ask cause like what a terrible question to be like, how'd you get that? No, I but like, it's like so patronizing, but no, I only but mean it cause it's such a huge franchise that it's so rad to be like, Oh you, you did totally. it. Totally. No, so did you, was it like bake off or is it, I'm sure it was like invites for prestige writers, obviously. Oh you my gosh. Prestige. Well, you, um, do, you have a ton of experience. Like, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was weird cause it was sort of like, or that was actually even before I I went to the tomorrow war actually oh, uh because yeah it was when i was working on solar so i didn't have any like real feature experience like uh like paid feature experience like right. i except for game over man i guess but uh i had written a spec just like on my own uh to be a feature sample mm-hmm. that was like a very crazy um it was like rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead but for the movie titanic because i <laughs> love titanic uh more than anything amazing um, also great hill topical Got oh to yeah for that today <laughs> i know i've like really wanted to like uh it's just like brought up how much I love that script and how much I love Titanic. Like now the Titanic <laughs> has been in the news, but I'm like, I can't like, it's not the time I'm a little tone <laughs> yeah, to remind yeah. people I wrote a spec. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like I love Titanic so much, actually. Um, <laughs> I too am in the cultural conversation. Yeah. This applies to me. Yeah, that's um, but yeah, so I wrote that, that got passed around. It was like on the blacklist. And then someone at Disney had read it. Um, this executive, Rachel Young, who I'm like, I love you so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she gave it to her boss or one person above her, uh, yeah. Jess Virtue. And so they were like inviting people in to come pitch on it. Cause they were like, we want to revisit Hocus Pocus. And it's so crazy because like the development process really felt like even just like the course of the first movie, which was like not a hit when it came out kind of like forgotten, but then like slowly like built this like massive following including me like I watch it every Halloween it's yeah iconic. I it's love an it absolutely iconic film yeah every time someone young realizes that's Sarah Jessica Parker for the first time it's like a it's beautiful amazing. coming of age yeah. <laughs> experience it's so like uh I know like I was like 
when I got the email asking if I would be interested to come pitch, I was like, this is the best More day of my life. Yeah, like, absolutely. yes, just I, getting invited to pitch. On yeah, it. <laughs> it was so amazing. And like I went in and pitched and uh, like got the job off of that. And for like a year I was working on it. Like it kind of felt like I was sort of like siloed uh, because it was kind of like, we don't know like if this is going to work, like we've got to really figure this out. Like we need the script. Yeah. You got to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, it felt like I was like this little secret, but the whole time I was like, if they are actually like able to put this together and like make this, it'll be huge. Like I'm so excited to just see it. That's so awesome. We were all so excited to see it. It was so fun. So great. You crushed it. So well done. Um, That's just a blast. I love that with all my heart. Um, And it's really, I can't wait for that email to come in for Hocus Pocus 6. Yeah. Um, I'm ready. I'm willing. I know. I'm like, make it a universe. Yeah, Uh, you're right. Exactly. Spinoff. Who are we following? Doesn't even matter. What happened? Whatever happened to... uh, Emily, yeah. <laughs> first one. We'll, we'll follow Jinx and Emily anywhere. Um, beautiful. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk about something significantly more important. Yes. Actually, wait, before we get there, I do want to say, um, how have you been with strike stuff? You've been such a wonderful, articulate, thoughtful Thanks. voice through it all, which is so unfortunately rare. I feel like I, here's the thing. Writers are, are famous for using our words, right? <laughs> but when we're mad, things yeah. can go off the rails a little bit. Yeah. You have particularly done such a wonderful job of just keeping the rhetoric simple, comprehensive, stopping the spread of misinformation. And I personally oh am very grateful for it. Do you feel Thank like this you. has become a lot now that I feel like everyone is posting, reposting? How do you feel? Um, I, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, and I feel, um, good that I'm able to like put it out there in a way that people are responding well to, but I definitely, when they started like getting passed around a lot, um, and I was seeing them pop up a lot on my feed and stuff, uh, I hate being like when they were going viral, but but for lack of a better term, when they were going viral, uh, it stressed me out so much because I was like, now I'm so aware of every time I post one, if they don't get as many likes and I'm like, that's, that adds like a whole layer to it it that I'm like, that's too much. Listen, (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to know that this applies to like social justice as much as it applies to like tweets on Twitter. It's like one goes viral and you're like, I am genius. And then the next one gets like 12 and you're like, I die. You're like, I die. Oops, that was a big swing yes, and a miss. Exactly. And I was like, I don't like bringing that dynamic into this. That so is so funny. That's why I, I mean, listen, I think regardless of <laughs> likes and shares, you're posting content that we need and want to read. Like, of course, there's always jargon that you're like, yeah, this makes for a good infographic. <laughs> like, right. But yeah. that doesn't mean that the lesser loved ones are less significant because we're t- I'm, I look to them. I do. Yeah. I really do. And sometimes I just find it incredibly helpful to see there's just so much information and see things that are just boiled down into a comprehensive form. Totally. Well, <laughs> so. yeah. Cause I basically was just like, I wanted, I was so mad when the strike first was called. Yes. Like I, and it was sort of a foregone conclusion for so long. Like people have been talking about it for months in, in, uh, before. Yeah. And, um, because we were just like, the studios are not going to offer us a good deal and they want us to go on strike. And then lo and behold, that is what happened. Yep. Um, and I, when it happened, I was like, 
this is insane. Like I had been so like putting it off of just like, we'll see what happens. Like it's out of my control. Like we'll cross that bridge. We get to it. And then I was so mad when we actually did go on strike. Cause I was like, I can't believe the AMPTP like made us do this and yeah. like hurt ourselves and everyone else. So I just started like writing this long essay and I was jokingly calling it to my husband. I was calling it my manifesto. (laughs) Then I was like, can you please read it? And he told me afterwards that he was really worried. He was like, (laughs) you were throwing around the word manifesto. I was like, what's this going to be? That's great. Oh, okay, good. He was worried before reading it. Yeah. I thought you meant he read it and was like, we need to talk. (laughs) We got to sit down. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was like, okay, yeah, it was definitely um, like very measured. Yeah. I was like, yes. So I was like, okay, great. Because uh, I basically was just trying to write. Was it like to a like, call for violent yeah, action? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was trying to like explain it to my parents. Essentially, I was just like, why is this so egregious feeling? Um, and so yeah, that's been my whole mo. Is like try to write it in ways that make it clear that like what's happening to us is happening to every other industry. Also, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you actually totally inspired. We did an episode with Betsy Thomas, yeah. who uh, is on the board uh, of the WGA and also the negotiating committee. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know what? This is exactly what we need because Betsy is also super smart and articulate. So that I could ask her the questions that like my parents are asking me, and then I get flustered and mad that anyone's totally. asking me these questions. Yeah. But she can explain. In a very measured manner. Totally. And yeah, it's been tremendously helpful. Um, you know, I'll plug all Jen's Instagrams and stuff at the end if you guys are curious and want to follow. Um, it'll very much worth a follow if you want to keep uh, up to date on what's going on. Um, but yes, I will not make us talk about the strike anymore because I'm probably killing my listeners every time someone comes in here. I'm like, how's your strike? And it's just like all we have going on. Yeah, it's, so it's all we that's have. Where we're at. Uh, but I want to talk about something way more fun because it's not all we have going on because we all have one other communal (laughs) joy going on would you please tell us what your hill is okay my hill is that Vanderpump Rules the Bravo reality show that we are all very familiar with now uh should be studied in schools as a sociological text I I love it I love it with all my heart and soul it's fantastic uh first of all I just have to ask are you like an OG Vanderpump yes you were you are so you're not like a new to the franchise binge six seasons no 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 no. how deep does it go um so I truly love Vanderpump Rules to the extent that when Scandaval started happening like multiple people reached out to me to be like have you ever felt so validated (laughs) (laughs) because for so long I've been like everybody needs to watch this show it's so interesting and fascinating and it's so indicative of an entire generation it's literally just like every like stereotypical problem uh with our generation I feel like is portrayed on that show (laughs) so interestingly uh that I'm like yes this should be studied as like what was it like to be alive during this time incredible also are you like early 30s yeah I'm 30 I'm about to turn 35 uh yeah so I'm like yes please I'm still early 30s for counts counts it counts we're counting it Um, Um, I only ask so it's millennials yes talking like hardcore millennials because they are now we've watched them like what 22 to 36 uh yeah well they're they sort of span uh, a wide age range like okay because some people like Jax was I think in his early 30s when the show started so oh, now he's in his early 40s but wow. Stasi is uh literally a week older than I am like she <laughs> just turned 35 uh congrats to her and so yeah happy birthday Stassi. happy birthday Stasi. <laughs> um 
when I started watching it, I was in my early 20s. I had just moved to L.A. I wanted to be like a writer, actor, director, comedian. Uh, so did they. We were living like my friend Jess McKenna and I were living in this apartment in Hollywood as most people who just moved to L.A. live in like gray carpet, vertical blinds like uh, and that's the apartments that they were living in. And we were just like these people. I mean, Jess didn't watch it. She was one of the people that texted me to be like, have you ever <laughs> felt so validated? Um, and I'm so sorry. And can you explain this? Story? Yes. Yeah. And then she was like, okay, I'm finally going to watch it now. I was also, like, it's been Jess years. McKenna of famous music, Jess McKenna. Yeah. Lovely. She works on a, she made the most amazing uh, musical number for my friend Zeke and I for a movie that we just sold, actually. Oh, whoa. Yes. And oh I have not met her in person, but I like love her and find her to be so brilliant. Oh, my gosh. She's I the love best. that you're roommates. Yeah. Fantastic. You should have her out. Um, she's yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know that just reminded me. I was like, oh, I need to message her. Yeah. Um, but well, <laughs> if she has time to come up for air in between rewatching Vanderpump now. Yeah. That <laughs> I know. She's already... writing her manifesto, which is an apology letter for not watching it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like she's in season four. I know, so she's got no uh, way. Ways so ahead. she's oh. going. That's amazing. Okay, I have to admit, I'm I'm with Jess on this one. In that, I was like, I don't watch any of this stuff. I don't care. And then, of course, the second this started happening, my friend Alex Franklin, who I actually tried to get on today, so that she would come help us. Oh uh, it was like, how dare you? You're coming with me to <laughs> Schwartz and Sandy's. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna feel this out, and I'm gonna explain everything that's going on. And I was like. This is fucking juice. Yeah. It's juice. It's incredible. Okay. And it's the perfect. I also thought about revising my hill to die on to be the Vanderpump rules should end now. Interesting. <laughs> because I do really feel that way, but I'm I'm not ready to die on that hill. That's I'm great. Just ready to kind of walk onto that hill and maybe ask people to fight me. But um, <laughs> you know what's fascinating though is like from what from what I've read, uh, the first couple seasons were like went gangbusters and then it hit a lull. But I personally believe that this would not the scandal would not be as omnipresent or as impactful as it is now if we didn't have to wait 10 seasons yes. to get to the juice. That is what's so great about it because so the reality show starts and it's about these people who are working in a restaurant, they're waiters and they are all trying to be famous, but they have, and I say this with love, no skills. Yeah. And they're like hot. Yeah. The skill they're is hot. hot. <laughs> um, but like, they're all just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall of just being like, I want to be an actor and a pop star and a writer. Like they're all kind of trying to do whatever they can. Yeah. Um, it's like asking a kindergartner what they want to be. Exactly. But 22 and so hot. So you don't learn that it's not possible until you're yeah. <laughs> famous yeah. <laughs> and it worked. That's the thing. Like it winds up working, but like then you watch them. So like seasons one, two and three is like very much. They are waiters, like, struggling to kind of like be famous in LA and just striving for this lifestyle that they want. And then season four, like that's when you can sort of start to tell that like they're becoming obviously famous, like from the show. And so that starts to creep in and it's still, they're still working in the restaurant, but it feels very fake. And then from there it just gets faker and faker and the drama, they, the friend group also gets like a little bit, uh, you can tell they kind of circle the wagons and are like making deals to like not bring up stuff on camera. Like there's sure. a little bit, they're being more delicate with their feelings. So it feels less real. And I would say it's really good through season six. Mm -hmm. And then season seven starts to be bad. Eight and nine are pretty terrible. 
but the whole time I was watching it being like, it's going to have to come back around because like they can't keep up what is ultimately a facade, which is that they are like very happily successful and like they own these multi-million dollar houses. And I'm just like, I know that they are living above their means <laughs> and we are going to get to a season where it's just like reality can't be kept at bay. Incredible. Um, and so then for season 10 already to be back to like, and like you watch them like in their early twenties, they're in these like really horrible relationships that you're like, you shouldn't be in, but they're too sort of comfortable to get out of. Uh, and they're also too like codependent. Like they need a partner, even if it's a partner that they hate and they're always cheating on. But then you watch them like get married and buy houses together. And you're like, no, 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 no. Like this is all terrible. And so then like going into season 10, all of the sort of like central relationships of the show have broken up or they're off the show except for Tom Sandoval and Ariana. And so it's like, they're the last one standing and like you go into it and sorry, this is like, I'm monologuing, but I love this. Continue. (laughs) The other thing that I find so interesting about it that I'm like, this is also why it should be studied as like a document of what it's like to be alive during this time is that their living situation Early seasons, they go from these like shitty apartments that everybody lives in, gray carpets, vertical blinds. Uh, Then when they get some money, they move to like the very sort of late 20 teens, early 2020s, like stereotypical modern farmhouse, like 3D printed, (laughs) just like all the houses look identical. Of course. Um, These like $2 million houses that are like five bedrooms and a pool, like uh, they move into those they Tom uh, Schwartz and Katie literally bought the staging furniture. Like they're just like, we immediately (laughs) move into like the most indicative living space of this time. Uh, That's great. Okay. Okay. So, so the first, so the first thing is that it tracks uh, real estate. Yeah. It tracks (laughs) real real estate estate trends. trends. (laughs) Love this. Love this. A beautiful thing that all college kids should be studying. Yes. Especially if they're looking to be homeowners one day. I'm like, yes, you should be learning. Like, buy a sensible property first. Like, don't immediately jump yes, into these yes. things. And then, uh, like, Tom and Katie get divorced, and then they both move into these very sort of, like, it's basically just, like, the one step up from the apartments they were living in before, where it's like, okay, now these are the very stereotypical, like, uh like Park La Brea apartments, yes. where it's just like a little more expensive, like a little nicer, but like slightly very, elevated, yeah. but cookie cutter, <laughs> yes. incredibly cookie cutter. Sure. And I'm just like, they're just bopping around. It's basically just the removal of carpet <laughs> yes. is what makes it different there. Yeah. And then, and I know exactly what you mean by those long parallel <laughs> those like lines bonds. because we fully had them too. Yeah. And it's when you upgrade away from those <laughs> that you're like, I've done it. Yeah. I've reached 27, 28. <laughs> Here I am. My Amazing. adult life yes. for real. Yeah. <laughs> like faux wood floors and amazing. Okay. So continue. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's just like season 10 was already primed to be kind of like the perfect full circle moment of like, they got famous just from being good at reality TV. Like they actually like, that is a skill that they have, which is also amazing because it's like they, and I think I've watched, uh, (laughs) it's like the season one, uh, I think it's not the secrets revealed. I think they did like a special other episode that I actually haven't weirdly been able to find. Um, 
but it's sort of like they interview the producers and the showrunners and stuff about season one. And I remember them saying that they were just blown away immediately by how Stassi was so good at being on camera. And uh, Kristen, too, is also like very savvy about like bringing stuff up on camera. And they were like, these people were raised on reality TV. Like they started watching it. Interesting. Like in their teen years, tween years, like VH1 reality shows, MTV reality shows. And so we are the children of the real world. Yes. (laughs) And so they were really good at it. They sort of knew what the assignment was and they were willing to go for it. And then what's so incredible about this Scandaval thing is like Raquel is sort of a product of her generation, which is just slightly younger, which is like, she, I think clearly thinks that the show, she's just like, it's a show. And like, what can I do for the show and for drama? And she like fully bought into that and was even one step more removed from like, this is, uh, I'm putting my life on TV. Right. As opposed, and then she was coming into it being like, my life is TV. Fascinating. And so that's also interesting. Is she Gen Z or is she just like she is, cusp? Uh, I think she's cusp. She's, okay. I think, in her late 20s. But yeah, younger younger millennial is definitely still a different brand. Yeah. Yeah. They grew Especially, up with more access, more understanding of what reality TV is. Totally. What people are doing on there, what you can benefit from it. Yeah. How to brand yourself. Yes, exactly. And like, yeah, I feel like. If you're in your late 20s, you had social media in high school. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is, I feel like, a big defining thing because I got like Facebook when I got my college For email college, address. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. And I was like, amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in. in. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe last, maybe mine was like the last year and a half of high school, but it was still yeah. so new that we like shared accounts with friends. Like totally. nobody was really using it. Totally. College, like keep in touch, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it was not anywhere near what it is today and like so yeah Raquel definitely had like more experience kind of branding herself and putting herself out there and like really uh acting an image um that she obviously assigned a lot of weight to because she now like at the beginning of season 10 she was having like a full-on identity crisis because she was like who am I now that I'm a single person and I can't be a pageant queen because I aged out of pageants. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, like the whole show just shows what happens to these people who, which I think is a very common thing where it's just like, all you want is to be famous and you don't actually know what you want beyond that or who you are even beyond that. And so if you get, if you start like assigning your personal worth and all of your dreams to this thing that's completely outside of your control, I think it just makes you go crazy, which is, is like so what happened to them. And and just to go back to the sociology class of it all, yes. it is the first generation where that has ever been even possible. Totally. To track the coming and going. I mean, before that we have, you know, child actors, but it was such an anomaly and, and, you know, they had skills. And of course there's always the issue of, can you transfer? We're doing adult acting, blah, blah, blah. Totally. That's not really this. No. This is so purely, you're no, people are no longer interested in my life. Yes. And what a fascinating realization. Yeah. Right. As opposed to like your skill, you could learn a new skill, you could rebrand yourself. It's like, I am no... I am no longer seen as interesting as a person. Yes. That has to be such a mind fuck. Totally. And it's also like they have tried to start businesses, which I think is right. also so fascinating because it also feels like a very millennial type thing to just be like, 
okay, like, let's just go ahead and start a beer cheese company, which is real. Uh, And they're like, we're doing it. It's artisanal. We're all doing artisanal. And then they do one Google search and they're like, oh my God, we got to fill out like a lot of forms. Like, let's not do that. And then shut down immediately. Yeah. Like never gets off the ground. And I'm just like, yeah, like they don't have a real passion. They're just sort of trying to follow in what they've seen other people be successful at. So they're like, yeah, I feel like they saw her transition pretty incredibly into a restaurant tour well I guess she was one she yeah was one before she went on housewives but like I think they are just like they see that that's a very common bravo trope of just be on the show and then put your business on the show and then it becomes successful because it's on the show to you yes it's almost like a stop on the hollywood bus tours totally yes (laughs) which i'm gonna be honest the vast majority of pals who come to visit are like we want to do the trio we want to do the sir pump tom tom trio yeah (laughs) now r.i.p pump but we've got schwartz and sandy if we want to yeah you know really mix things (laughs) up for the guests (laughs) it's really fun and that's also in like a different part of town exactly Uh, exactly worst part of town putting that next to ucb theater is the weirdest move like the foot traffic is probably the last people who are going to be waltzing into this bar it's so wild and it's like it's so tucked away too so you don't even know it's there so it's it's a very strange place dog groomer and across from a gelson yeah (laughs) it's so strange um have i been twice with my pal alex who loves every second of it a hundred percent i have also been there um and i definitely was like i wish I could go back in time and have this somehow be open when I was interning at UCB. Oh my God. Totally. <laughs> so you really like I could just bop over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's incredible. Okay, great. So, so that's really fascinating. I love that as a sociological lesson that the idea that we're tracking social media influencers, the first generation of yeah. social media influencers and how it has affected them psychologically. It's incredible because it's also you, they get, Instagram in season two, like the season premiere of season two is them getting in like an Instagram fight. No way. And like, what you, a time capsule. It's amazing. Like in the first season, Stasi has a Blackberry and I'm just like, <laughs> It's me. Like, like, so did I. Yes. Exactly. You're like, like, what's your BBM? Yeah. Does it have one of those rolly balls? Which I thought was yes. the coolest thing ever. The trackpad. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so, you watch it all start to bleed in. Like, I think it's the season one reunion or maybe season two reunion. There's drama because Sheena has been like retweeting stuff. And like, that's sort of like the first trickle in of like the fandom sort of really affecting them. And like, you watch them kind of very clearly uh, internalize the feedback that they're getting from fans like season to season and sort right. of want to make sure that they're portraying themselves well. And Which like, is so fascinating. It's amazing. Cause, right. Cause instead of just, you know, the every so often one person writes up a review, you're now in real time hearing from so many people yeah. how they feel about you. What a transformation in how you then behave on TV. Totally. And I also find that fascinating because it goes from like, we are creating the show as a whole. This is all of us. Yes, occasionally we get called out in articles, but now you can like add a numerical value to who has most followers, who's getting more retweets, like whose storylines are taking off. Fucking fascinating. When you're still at such an impressionable age. So impressionable. Like you don't know, you're still figuring out your whole personality. 1,000%. And you're getting constant feedback from (laughs) viewers that hate you. Hate you. (laughs) But also can't get enough of you. Totally. And then you're also being 
told by producers and like showrunners and stuff, like they're of course encouraging your worst behavior because it's like, yeah, like the healthy thing in conflict with people is to try to communicate clearly. And then if that doesn't work to just kind of like, let it go. (laughs) By the way, off of that really quick tangent, but have you watched the queer ultimatum? No. Okay. It's fantastic. But I will say I almost quit because in the first episode, uh, every couple is so it's it's primarily lesbians uh identify queer non-binary um women or non-binary uh characters yeah and i call them characters but they're not playing a character they're playing themselves let me be very clear but i was like wait a second this is going to be boring because these people are so evolved that every conversation is like thoughtful. People are self-aware. They have, they have the vocabulary to be like, I understand that I'm being avoidant and you know, I see that in myself and I'll work on it. And here's what I'd like you to work. And I was like, this is incredible to see. And again, it's like mostly Gen Z or very cusp and millennial who has the jargon that we never had. Totally. Absolutely never had was never using any of this communication was weeping at a bar and being like, love me, (laughs) which is what we saw then portrayed on TV and, in heightened versions through these TV shows. So to watch these people have these conversations, I was like, well, this is bad TV. And then of course, you know, alcohol plays a role and then even the most evolved person becomes (laughs) monster on TV. But I I just found it super fascinating. It's just a completely different universe in how we communicate in our relationships. It's amazing. And then I feel like that to that version of communication can also become like very toxic Incredibly very quickly too. Toxic yeah. because you think you understand the vocabulary but you're not acting on any of it totally you're still very much acting on impulse like 100 <laughs> and you're like well i've said how you make me feel and so that's why my feelings actually matter like yes. a thousand times more than your feelings yes now. It's, it's like, like who well. can out jargon the other <laughs> yes. is who wins the fight exactly it's like <laughs> a, completely and that and that also adds to it because then you see people who were like beautifully articulate in what they wanted out of a relationship and how they felt like they could offer it just do the most hypocritical things ever and that's when you're like oh well you're 24 right you're still 24 (laughs) you're just being 24 totally you just had a wider vocabulary (laughs) and you're ignoring all of all of how you know you should could and would act otherwise yeah because your feelings are hurt (laughs) totally it's like you still have a lot to learn exactly so reality tv hasn't totally (laughs) changed but i just found that to be super fascinating because it was really the first round of reality tv that i've watched and been like oh you guys are all so on the internet yeah (laughs) that you've all read the same thought pieces totally. you all know you, you all are in significantly more therapy than we were in prior to you know at least for me mid-20s totally. yeah and and you're using it and you're using it against each other yes. <laughs> it's incredible anyway, i found it very <laughs> fascinating okay so i love that okay what else what else will make this beautiful to study yeah in oh my gosh what else is the other main tenant of my course that I want to teach one day. <laughs> I mean, I, I was looking up some little things because yeah. I was like, why did this become such a beautiful thing? Like so quickly, one of the easy ones, which I feel like, you know, if you're in, if you're looking for some one-on-one lessons, um, it's just the whole idea of pretty privilege. I find so fascinating. Yes. And I feel like it, it, per what you were saying about these people being like, <laughs> 
we're going to be whatever we want to be. And then kind of getting their way. Yeah. Bit. Uh, like, they, yes, as we know, like pretty privilege can be defined by the fact that we scientifically look at people who are beautiful and think that they are smarter, healthier and better people. Yeah. So we are willing to forgive. And because of that, even though all of these people are villains, they're all they're every all single one of them. There's no quote unquote good guy right. but we are willing to forgive it and we l- kind of love them yeah and even when you hate them you want them to come back that's what's so fascinating like I because I was trying to think about how to explain why the scandal was so earth-shattering yeah. and why it feels different from like the many other thousand cheating scandals that have happened on the show right and I think it really is that it's like Tom Sandoval from the beginning has always been like a little bit of a slippery snake. Like he's always been like slimy, but he always had someone who was way worse. Like in the early seasons, like Kristen was so who was dating him at the time and they had a really horrible relationship. Uh, she was so for lack of a better word, crazy and loud and like doing all of these things to try to ruin him that it was sort of, easy to kind of be like okay like yeah he's bad but he's being victimized by this person so it's like in comparison yeah it's like he's not as bad as totally (laughs) sure and so you're just sort of like that sort of primes you to be a little more forgiving of him in general and then they are all villains but I think Ariana was always the most sort of like grounded and uh, it's like a lineup likable yeah well you did less in tournament camp yeah I'm like you're like you seem like nice (laughs) um And so when they were together for so long, it was sort of like, okay, like, yes, I'm seeing some red flags from Tom that I would think are so annoying and like so awful. But the fact that I also see like some good in him, like he's like a really good friend, like he loves to like create a party vibe and Ariana obviously loves him. So there must be something that I don't understand. And I think it is like sort of this pretty privilege and then also this privilege, like the privilege of just being on TV and like having Absolutely. money, like it's just, it sort of automatically buys you this thing of like, oh, well, they're obviously doing something right. Like they live in this nice house. Right. Like they've figured out something. Beautiful uh, role models. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you find out like, oh no, they have tax liens against them. Like they've right. over mortgaged their house. Like they've taken all this money out. Like they have not been smart with their money at all. Like uh, yes, there are rumors that some of their assistants had not been paid for a very long time <gasps> before Scandival hit, and no. then it hit, and they finally started getting a cash flow again. But <gasps> it was like, oh, there were there were signs that perhaps things were not looking great for several of them. Wow, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, yeah. it's just like, and like I think that uh, among the community of people who have been watching Vanderpump from day one, <laughs> like in the the bad times when the show was so successful and they were getting so rich off of it. And then they were like living these amazing looking lives of like private jets and nice houses. Like, I think there was this feeling of like, no, wait, I started watching this show because you were like me. And like, now you're doing like kind of better. Right. Um, I don't like it. And I don't (laughs) like it. And then like, And it doesn't feel right in the world. It's like, why do you have this? And it's because you're bad, kind of. Like, it's just, it was so weird. That is fascinating. And then to find out that it was as, like, we all sort of, like, secretly 
suspected a lie. Yes. Yeah, so it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is so validating in a way. And then also like I. Fine. So it's turned into a total schadenfreude. Yeah. Fascinating. And it always was that. And then it was just like, but then the schadenfreude like reversed back on the viewer kind right. of. And then now the power dynamic Because it's like back. jokes on you. I'm rich. Yeah. And you're like, well, fuck. This yeah. isn't fun anymore. It's like, R- you loved me so much that I'm rich now. Yes. And it's like, no, but that's not. Yeah. You're like, we were enjoying watching and feeling better about our. <laughs> Ourselves, yeah like in our own life choices fascinating yeah. so it's that's so fascinating from a social sociological standpoint on the viewer totally right add it to the curriculum add it to the curriculum to the, can't wait to see some essays because it's on that. true that it's like i think the human nature is just that you want to feel better than other people which is like totally. it's dark but it's, it's why real. social media works yes absolutely why social media works i mean this is its own class yeah, this is its, its own. Self, yeah. But of wanting to go on and post something and have the validation that people think you're doing great. Totally. It's that is that and is like really hate following people that you're just like, well, at least I'm not like that for absolutely. X reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love a hate follow. I know. Like, I mean, you're insufferable on social media and that is fun because people know it. Literally my biggest stress people with my group. Threads know yeah. It. Oh, I'm like, people worry. see <laughs> anyone in the industry. That's our greatest. Yeah. Listen, it's the best. I've been muted by my own siblings who I, I, know. I know love me. So like, let's be very clear. <laughs> I'm it's definitely like, thing. please mute me. Like, yes. I would much rather you just be like, oh, God, and then like be, mute me. Then have someone screenshotting. Yes. <laughs> I was talking to a friend about that. And we we're like, which of your posts do you think was screenshotted <laughs> and sent to a group text and talked about in the worst light yes. most? And that's also so narcissistic to believe that's ever even happened one time. Of course. Like, who am I? No one cares. I, I know. I pretty boring shit <laughs> as a general rule of thumb. But the, just this idea that we're all, like, assuming because we do it about others that, like, maybe it's happening to us. Right. And a, like, what would be more sad, finding out that, yes, it's happening, or B, that or it's no, never it's not. happened at all? Yeah. <laughs> right? I think about that so much with my strike posts. Oh I'm like, God, what hilarious. are they being like mocked? Like what threads are they being mocked in? And like, yeah, is the answer. You're do I watching want it to them be... be reposted by all of your peers. <laughs> yeah. So you know that everyone is pro. But I also know that it's like, it's the more I think about this so much. Uh, Mike White's Emmy speech for White Lotus where he, cause I'm also a big survivor fan. So I had like seen him on Love. survivor. <laughs> uh, and he talks about how he was on survivor And he was like, when you're on Survivor, you want your threat level to be relatively low because when it gets high, that's when people come for you. And so winning all these Emmys tonight, please don't come for me. Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) And I am like, yes, I relate to that so much. Like the more that people were sharing my posts about the strike, I was like, this is just making whoever hates me, hate me even more. It's it's also (laughs) for women. I hate to say it, but I call it the Anne Hathaway cycle where we build someone up and love them so much. And then we absolutely cannot let them stay there. We have to then take them down. Totally. So it's like, how do you get to so close to Anne, yeah. but not quite Anne, yes. where you can just like coast for a little and then maybe disappear for a little, come back without experiencing the, the, the tumble, which, you know, down. there's a full cycle and now we're all back to Anne and apologizing, but she had to go through the full cycle of, of we hate Anne Hathaway hate before you. we all realized what internalized sexism was. Yes. <laughs> that it's took wild. like a decade. That, I feel like that's my other sociological course because I'm also like, I was fully on that ride. Like right? I was very much like, shut up Anne She's Hathaway. She's insufferable. She's like such a loser, like theater She's such nerd. A yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it's such a derogatory term as if we're not all thespians. I know. Like- <laughs> I'm like, I literally only, and I'm like, again, like, 
the early 20s problem of just like you think you are so enlightened but you're exactly. you will constantly just be learning things as you How go on you are yeah. that you are an idiot and I'm like I look forward to being 50 and being like when I was 35 I was an idiot complete still. idiot and thought that all of this was so thoughtful yeah, and I feel, yeah absolutely <laughs> I thought every I was year I look it. back at tweets and I'm like oh for the love of god I'm like, like please no so yeah but like, speaking of time capsules that like should or should not exist totally I know it's like is it really good that like all of my early comedy when I was still figuring out my voice is like alive on the internet still uh, completely like, no completely it's not and totally no yeah. although I will say to that it is very nice just in terms of like a humanizing people to yes. see people that you love who used to put shit on the internet that was so purely bad <laughs> now having learned their craft of driving. Yeah. I, I feel like that actually is beneficial to future filmmakers. Yeah. It's inspiring. You can go and be like, Oh, every sketch that girl wrote was <laughs> horrible. Yeah. wasn't funny at all. Or moments where it was like trying to be like, see, I'm in the cultural conversation. So it's more like yelling at you than laughter. Totally. Right? It's like, or, and you can tell they're trying on whatever, like the, the comedy de rigueur yes, or whatever exactly, is like, it's exactly. yeah. and like trying to fit in whatever that mold is. It's like today it's self-awareness, but yeah. today it's earnestness. <laughs> and it's like, oh no. And I feel like seeing that and being like, oh, I'm bad too. Okay. I can get better. Totally. Could actually be beneficial to all of our psyches. Yes. <laughs> um, real quick. I wanted to just go back to um, your point about like the longevity of the show and how uh, it would help in a sociological class or in a sociology class, excuse me. I also think that it could be taught in plenty of TV and film classes as well. Oh yeah. And here's why I, um, Mike Schur had the luxury of being his, uh, he I had the luxury of being Mike Schur's boss. No, <laughs> he was uh, very much my boss. And he, uh, when I was writing on Abby's, uh, he taught us all a very interesting thing when we were trying to do sort of a will they, won't they, we were trying to some plant some seeds for some possible relationships. And of course everyone's like, okay, what if they fuck in episode four? And he was like, no. And he was like, <laughs> The payoff for some of these things is so much better if you're patient. Yeah. And, you know, he famously wrote for Jim and Pam and Eleanor and Cheedy. And if you watch, you know, in so many seasons, I mean, The Good Place 4, but that's still kind of a lot these days. Yeah. The Office was like, what, eight? And yeah, eight or nine. Yeah, eight or nine. And then I'm watching this arc goes so slowly and it's like, okay, instead of having them get together immediately, Jim just puts some candies on Pam's you know, yeah. desk and that will sustain us for years, for years. So I feel like what's fascinating about the scandal is that we waited so long for this payoff yes. that if, if this cheating scandal had happened, even season five, six, I feel like it would have come and gone as the episode of the day 100%. and then wrapped it up. The fact that it has been 10 years, 10 seasons, right. And yeah. more than 10 years in the making. Yeah. Their relationship, they got together, Tom and Ariana, in like by the end of season two. So, yeah. It's right. Like, yeah. So then, okay. So, had the cheating happened in four, five, like, right? It would have been like, ah, oh, it didn't work out. Right. But they've been together for eight seasons now. And so that's the equivalent of what, 10 years of us watching and rooting yeah. for them. And they're the last one standing. And then to have it go up in smokes in like your best friend this crazy fucking way. I'm sorry. It's so earned. Like it's, it's so earned. It's so earned. And so to your point of like, maybe it should end maybe, or maybe there's more shit that we are just setting up and we need 10 more seasons. Well, here's, to find out. <laughs> here's my theory on why Jeanette. And for, I also think like with regards to the payoff too, I think what also made it so incredible is that like, I've definitely had this in my real life with people I actually know where 
I have met a person. I've like worked with a person, a guy that I was like, this guy, I hate his vibe. I don't like how he speaks to me or like really anyone else. Like he seems so full of himself, but I know his girlfriend and she's amazing. And so obviously there's something that I'm missing about this guy. And if I just continue to get to know him, I'm sure like I'll eventually see whatever other softer side of him that she sees because I respect her so much. That's so forgiving. And then to have that be what was happening with Tom and Ariana and then to have the rug pulled out and just the feeling of like, I knew I was right. Like he's a terrible (laughs) guy. And like she, she was just tricked and that makes me so sad for her. Like it's so, uh, it just hits you so hard. Absolutely. But as a viewer is so satisfying. Yeah. It's like you all had this inkling. It hadn't been, uh, yes. Satisfying is really the right word. Yeah. You could just see, I mean, I had friends that were just glowing. Oh, glowing yeah. during this season. It's wild. <laughs> it's, it's and then fantastic. it's like now, and I'll add this to the sociological text, which is also why I'm unclear on if it should end or not. Uh-huh. Now, having been out of sort of the Scandaval churn for however many, like three weeks or whatever was the last episode, even now, like you can already feel this come down where everyone is a little bit like, we went a little crazy, huh? Hilarious. <laughs> like the viewer is on the same sort of like emotional, weird roller coaster that's indicative of their own life as the show. Like it's yeah. so wild. Like we were all so desperate for something. Eating it up. Eating it up. I mean, the number of friends who just started watching within the last two months. Oh, yeah. And have now binged just an obscene amount of TV. Yeah. I mean, myself included. I, like, I want to know everything that's happening. It's like, amazing. I've, I, it, and the fact that it has, like, it, it's hit homes of folks that never, never, gave it a time of day. No. And now know the names of all the players who they did were at what. the White House Correspondents Dinner. It's just like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, uh, oh. yeah, it says so much more about us. And it, it does about them. And it's it needs great. to be studied. It needs to and be studied. And the next generation of <laughs> college grads will benefit from this course. Yes. <laughs> because of the self-awareness it will teach us about <laughs> how to be a better person. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably. Or I just, think, yeah. Or it's just a history lesson. Let's just a history honest. lesson. It really yeah. is. You might not learn much from it, but you might have a really nice time. <laughs> I do think there is something, sorry, so quickly no, to please. be said about, yeah, there is in terms of using it to teach people to be a better person. There is such a subplot of revenge constantly. And again, like that's with the viewers too. It's like people, I do think, went like really hard on Raquel and Sandoval. And it was definitely getting way too far. And I, part of the reason that I'm like, maybe it should end is because I'm like, I don't think Raquel, I don't think it's like a healthy or safe. Might not be safe. Thing yeah. for her to be on TV. Uh, like she maybe needs Witness to go. protection. Yeah, yeah. Figure out her life uh, and who she is as a person because if she continues to just sort of chase the fame of the show and that attention, I think that's going to be really bad for her. Um, but like the, on Vanderpump Rules, whenever anyone is wronged, they get so self-righteous. And it's just like, because you have wronged me, even if the wrong is horrible, even if it is like, I cheated on you by having sex with this woman that you know while she was taking care of a 90-year-old woman who yep, was yep. Uh, asleep <laughs> in the next room. Yep. Uh, it's like, that's awful. But it's like the second that they're like, you've done something bad, you're the problem, then nothing that 
like if I'm like Taylor, you did something bad to me. Like you're a monster. And now because you've done that, nothing that I have done I'm absolved of ever all. matters yeah. <laughs> ever again. Like I am perfect. Incredible. And then I feel like that is what's happening with the viewers too, where it's just like, you're so awful. So nothing that I've done in my life is actually that bad because I'm not as bad as you. Amazing. And so like, that's why we feel justified in like tearing these people down. And it's Incredible. just like, everyone needs to just, yeah. It's relax. also like someone died syndrome where suddenly you're like, Oh, we're so sad. Never yeah. mind the many people that they wrong. We will miss you. Yes. Like that's really fascinating. Very fascinating. It's so How juicy. quick we forget. I mean the collective, you know, the, the collective, memory loss of Hollywood in general yes. is fully like that. I know. But to see it happen then back and forth, back and forth for seasons of your switching allegiances is it's fun. So it's absolutely fun. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's really fascinating too. <laughs> do you think we, do you think we do that in real life? Do you think we're as quick to maybe not with the people in our own relationships? Yeah. But certainly for the people that we have these parasocial <laughs> relationships with, that's for sure. For sure. I definitely think, yeah, the, it's just so tempting to like reduce people down to the binary of just like good or bad. Of course. And yeah. Especially when we don't know that, which is also why social media is so harmful yes. because it's like you're insufferable and now you are bad as yes. opposed to like, oh, well, maybe they were more than these 10 posts about their bachelorette party. Totally. It's <laughs> like they're annoying on social media and they're like not coming across well. Yes. That's like the biggest thing that I feel like. I've learned like working with actors is I'm just like, Oh my God, like you can be completely like so lovely and nice in person where I'm just like, wow, like so charming. you are so great. You're so smart, thoughtful, funny. Like you're being so nice to everyone. And then like stuff on social media, I'm like, Oh my God, like whatever, like it just doesn't translate at like, all. It's really like, how crazy. did this happen? Yeah. I, I find that. And often. I'm like, what is the addiction to continue doing it? Yes. Like this weird thing of like, okay, well no, like they have a misconception of me. So if I just keep putting stuff out there, eventually it they'll must see. change their opinion. Right. And it's Absolutely. like, no, you know, I also worse. think in our industry specifically, it's this like, and probably for our generation, we've seen people take off, because of their social medias. Right. So it's this fear that if we're not, you know, hitting it at all angles, we're missing an opportunity for a potential job. Right. right? I mean, that's how I feel when I delete Twitter for my mental health every six months yeah. and then feel amazing. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, my job is ending. I better get back on Twitter. Right. As if more than three people have ever gotten jobs from Twitter ever. And the rest of us have all been taken down by Twitter. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> there's a great, much greater chance that you're alienating people from social media than you are winning them over onto your side. Totally. To have them hire you. Yes. And yet, <laughs> And yet we still yet, try. You're like, but so-and-so got, you know, invited to do this. Yeah. And they're big on Insta. It's like, yeah, it's sick. It's, it, we're it's all sick. sick. We're all sick. We're yeah. absolutely all sick. <laughs> Myself included. This oh, is yeah. certainly not diagnostic of anyone. Oh, else. no, 100%. Um, fantastic. Listen, you've done a phenomenal job of dying on this hill. How are oh you feeling? God, thank you so much. Are you feeling I, ready? Where would be your dream place to uh, host? What What dream campus? I mean, I went to Northwestern and uh, I would just love to go back there and teach a class on this. It Are you from be... Chicago? No, uh, I'm from the suburbs of Philadelphia. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, yes, we've discussed this. <laughs> I'm, I'm from very close by Evanston. 
Oh, whoa. So, oh, yes. yes, we did discuss. Yes. Yeah. So I forgot about that. Love that. Love yeah. hearing Northwestern Yeah, I love folks. it over there and I want to go back. Yeah, fantastic. Even though I, the winter's awful. I, I, winter's an ni- absolute nightmare. Yeah. Makes spring so special. Yeah. So, so spectacular. Uh, I think Northwestern, you know, prestigious enough. Good place. Good TV and film program. Absolutely. Like, and yeah. I just think that it's a really great, you know, my, my Midwestern friends, I think all have incredibly thoughtful takes on, on this, <laughs> and would be willing to sign up for this class. Yeah, I feel uh, like, you know, in the Midwest, there's like a kindness. Oh, sure, <laughs> people, sure. People want to make the world better. You're also <laughs> avoiding, you know, it happening in LA and being like, well, my cousin was the third assistant yeah. at Sandoval and therefore we have like some insight. I mean, but I do want that though. I do too, <laughs> but I also want them to come in and talk. I'm like, you can come be a guest speaker. <laughs> yeah. Like we have the connections, but they're not learning. They already know the insights. You're right we owe it to they are a subject as well exactly. so yeah we'll bring them into the class. basically yeah all right love this love this uh you heard it here first northwestern we are available we're available we're for hire yeah in fact <laughs> we don't know how long we'll be available for so scoop us while you can yeah. i'm absolutely encroaching on this <laughs> this is i i'm your, no. I'll be your ta yeah no please oh my <laughs> god i've never be great. watched an episode I, I can't wait to read all these essays you'll have valuable perspective um, can't wait can't wait uh do you have any final last words you'd like to say uh, before you successfully die on your hill? Uh, I mean, I guess I would just end it by saying um, I could talk about this for hours and hours. So please um, feel free to visit my corpse on my hill. And yes. <laughs> we'll chat as a ghost. Definitely reach out to us. De- yeah. We want to hear from you 1000%. Uh, fantastic job dying on your hill. And with Thank that, uh, I'll read you your eulogy. Oh my gosh, amazing. Perfect. We've gathered here today to celebrate the life of Jen D'Angelo, who tragically died on the hill of Vanderpump Rules should be studied in school, particularly as a sociology class at Northwestern University. Jen is survived by a number of wonderful projects, including a new movie starring Aquafina and Sandra Oh coming to Hulu later this year. Can't say the name. But I'm really stoked for it, and I can't wait to hear the scoop all about it. Uh, You can follow Jen's legacy and all of her incredibly thoughtful WGA updates on Instagram at Jen underscore D'Angelo. It's J-E-N underscore D-A-N-G-E-L-O. Jen, we're very grateful for your time here on this podcast and this earth. May you rest in peace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Hills I Die On. If you like what you hear, don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review letting us know what you think. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Hills I Die On Podcast and on Twitter at Hills I Die On. Follow me on Twitter slash Instagram at I'm Taylor Cox. Thanks again for listening and hope to see you next week.